How y'all doing? I feel like I neglect this side sometimes, so I'm going to turn toward you for just a little bit. For some reason, I think I, I look over here quite a bit more often. Maybe because my wife usually sits over here, but now she's sitting over here, so I guess I'm looking over her at her again, so that's good. Um, well, uh, certainly life takes some unexpected twists and turns, doesn't it? And if you've been following the Olympics, you've probably seen a lot of that happen. Um, I don't know if you've heard or seen the story of Savon um, Kramer. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his first name right, but I'll go for it. Savon Kramer. And he was the uh, gold medal favorite for the 10,000 meter speed skating competition. This guy was awesome. He's from the Netherlands. And um, if you know anything about that competition, it is, it's a long race. It's 25 laps. And there are specific points when you're to switch lanes. Well, on the 17th lap uh, around the, uh, the, uh, the 17th lap around, um, his coach had made the mistake, accidentally prompted him to stay inside the inside lane instead of the outside lane. And by the end of the race, um, Kramer had thought he had won the gold medal because he was on target to win the gold medal right there. Uh, ends up he was disqualified because um, he was supposed to be in the other lane at that time. It was a matter of inches, and the coach um, had accidentally prompted his player to switch lanes at that time. Just a matter of inches. Can you imagine how that, that um, athlete must have felt? Can you imagine? Well, actually, he kind of showed it. <laughs> if you saw it, <laughs> he was throwing stuff. Uh, can you imagine how that coach must have felt? I mean, if they were to bring this to God, the question would be, why me, God? Why now, after four years of training, it comes all to this moment here on this ice, that this has to happen. Why me, God? I think if I were to be a betting man, which I'm not, but if I were, I'd say most of us would probably ask God that question before in our lives. Why me, God? It's okay to have questions to ask God. We see that all throughout the book of Psalms, don't we? And uh, throughout the series, we've been, we started our series last week called God at Work. And um, last week we looked at Naomi's perspective, which was uh, God at Work in uncertain times. And she was basically asking the question, what now, God? Um, next week we're going to look at Boaz and his perspective, God in great times. And he's asking the question, what's next, God? And today we're going to look at Ruth, okay, which the book is named after her. And uh, Ruth, we're, we're going to talk about the title of the message today is God um, at Work in Unexpected Times. And uh, she's basically the asking the question, why me, God? Um, I think that um, it's a question that can be looked at uh, one of two ways. I, I think uh, you can ask the question, why me, God, in a negative way? Basically saying, kind of like the speed skater, how could this have happened? Why is this happening to me right now? Things to that matter. Uh, the detailed things of life, right? I mean, Svon Kramer, yes, he didn't win the gold, he didn't win the silver, he didn't win the bronze, he didn't even medal because he was disqualified. But is that the end of his life? I mean, really, is that the end of his life? No. It's not. They may have been asking the question, why me, God? Or we can take that question 
and ask it the way that Ruth is going to ask today, today and what we can learn from her. And that is, why me, God? In the positive, meaning that we're grateful for the grace of God. Why me, God, that you would pour out your favor upon me? Why me, God, that you would save me from hell? Why me, God, that you would bring me to be with you when I'm so unworthy and I'm such a sinner? Why me, God? It's basically how you look at that question that's going to really show how you live your life on this earth. Why me, God? I'm all wrapped up in the details of what's going on, circumstances and things like that. Or why me, God, that you would actually pour out your love upon me, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I mean, that's awesome. Why me, God? Um, we, uh, I, I was, as I drive to, to the office throughout the week, um, there's a billboard that I, I see quite often. It's representing a college of, of some sort. But it always sticks in my mind. It says, zero to bachelor's in 2.5. Okay? I mean, you can earn a degree, a bachelor's degree, in two and a half years. But I always see that message is pretty clear. A lot can happen in a short amount of time, can't it? And the same thing happened in Ruth's life. We see that in a matter of, of 10 years, she loses a lot of things, a lot of precious people in her life. If we looked at the background of Ruth, we would see that um, um, in the story of the book of Ruth, Ruth's hub, husband dies, all right? Um, she's homeless, she's jobless, and she's a Moabite woman, okay, which is a big issue um, in the story because uh, of the relationship between the Moabites and the Israelites, which we kind of talked about last week. Um, Moab actually means from father. If you want to read about how that all got started, go to Genesis 19, 30 through 38 and read it sometime. You'll be like, wow, this is in the Bible. Yes, it is. Um, you'll have to you'll read that sometime of how the Moabites came about. Okay. But um, the relationship between the Moabites and the Israelites were strained. And actually, there's a period of time that we see in the book of Judges, um, chapter 3, verse 14, that, that the Israelites were um, in bondage to the Moabites for 18 years. So keep that in mind as we go through this story as well. So if you go to the book of Ruth, we're going to see that um, right off the bat, this is the things that uh, I'd already listed. Ruth, to, to us, seems like she has all the right in the world to say, why me, God, right, in a negative tone. Like, honestly, all this has happened to me. I've, she's lost her husband. Um, um, she's lost uh, um, several of those who are close to her. As we know, we talked about Naomi last week, how she had lost her husband and two sons, which, which uh, one of those sons was her, her uh, husband, of course. Um, was Ruth's husband, um, Malon. So um, in the book of Ruth, uh, just to catch you up to speed here, um, ba- basically uh, there was a famine in the land, and so Imelech, uh, um, uh, who was Naomi's husband, and, uh, and their family decided to move to Moab, all right, to get some food to stay alive, basically. And they, they, they moved to Moab. That's when uh, Malon and Kilion, who are uh, Naomi's sons, find wives there, Moabite women. And, um, and so they, they get married. And they, um, uh, within a period of 10 years, um, both Malon and Kilion died. We don't know how they died, but they died. And so now we've got um, um, uh, Ruth and... and um, and uh, Orpah is her name, 
Um, they have both now lost their husbands, and uh, this is kind of the picture of what's happening. They've, they've basically lost everything, and now they're moving back to Judah. Um, that is, Naomi is wanting to move back to Judah. She decides to take her, or, or ask her daughter-in-laws, and they, or, or basically her daughter-in-laws asked to move back with her, but she says, why don't you just stay in this land? And um, Orpah says, okay, I'm going to stay back in Moab where it's comfortable, where it's safe. And Ruth, she has a different perspective. And this is one of the greatest uh, scriptures. You've probably um, heard of this before. Maybe you've, you haven't, but just listen to how Ruth replies to um, Naomi after Naomi urges her to go back. In verse 16 of chapter 1, this is one of what the, um, the biggest um, faith decisions of Ruth's life here. Okay, she says this, but Ruth replied in verse 16, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me be ever so severely if anything but death separates you and me. She said that your God will be my God. This is a huge step of faith because she doesn't have all of her answers um, before she commits her life to God, does she? Like many, many people today want all the answers possible before they will take that step of faith into coming to know Christ as Lord. So many times we see... Um, that uh, Ruth, from maybe seeing Naomi's life, which she wasn't the strongest believer in the world, as we kind of see in here, but it was enough that, that it, was, it was just, um, it, it craved, she craved to, to, to know more about what she believed. And so she comes and says, I'm going to basically leave everything that I have and what I have left, and I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow your God. He's going to be my God. So let's take note of this real quick here. That is God's greatest work shows up in submitted and committed lives. God's greatest work shows up in submitted and committed lives. It's not about being good Christian people anymore, is it? It's about those who will truly be, become disciples of Christ. God's greatest work often shows up in the most unexpected times in these people's lives. And why? Because these kind of people simply obey God and leave the results up to Him. Simple obedience living for God and leaving the results to him. That's what Ruth was doing. She was going back to a place where they were not too fond of the Moabites, were they? And so she heads back with Naomi. Um, Ruth kind of, re, I, I believe, reflects what Jesus said in Luke 14, If you really want to be disciples, he says this, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. And we see the picture of Ruth just leaving everything to follow um, Naomi and follow her God, our God, the only God. And so um, this is what's great. So we see that we, we can look at the evidence. Um, today I want to look at the evidence of, of someone that is, has a submitted and committed life to Christ. And we can, we can learn from these certain principles found in the book of Ruth and Ruth's life of what that looks like. It's not an exhaustive list, but, it's, but it is a... A, uh, something that we should take notice of um, in our lives here, of being a submitted and committed um, Christ follower, okay? One of the first things that we notice in this story here 
is that um, if, you, if, it, if you're going to have it ev- be evidence of a, of a smitten and committed life to Christ, is that people can't help but notice. I think this is great. In chapter 2, verses 11 through 12, Boaz replied, I've been told about, how, uh, about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, who's, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Well, about in chapter 3, verse 11, and we see that um, Boaz says, well, basically my friends know all about you. It says, all my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. And what about Ruth, chapter 4, verse 15? Naomi's friends. Uh, for your daughter-in-law who loves you who, and who is better than, to you than seven sons has given him birth. So we see that people can't help but notice that there's something different about Ruth's life. Um, do, do people notice the difference in your life as a Christ follower? Or do you just blend in? Do you really stand out as a Christ follower? When, when especially what happens is times of, of, of un, un, unexpected times, uncertainty times, when when you're going through something, may, may be that someone in your family is going through, through a time of uh, developing cancer or, or someone has died in your family or whatever it may be, how you react in those certain situations really shows um, what a Christ follower is all about. It shows the entire world. And so will we just blend in or will people take notice? Because what it means to follow Christ is, um, is a big difference from someone else that is not following Christ, okay? And so we see that people can't help but notice. Uh, the second thing we see of, uh, of evidence is that um, they're not swayed by public opinion. I don't know if you ever caught this, but in the early chapter here of, of the book of Ruth, we see in verse 19, it says, The two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived the, to Bethlehem, the, town, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? You remember, Naomi had so much, so much going for her before she left um, Judah and Bethlehem to go to Moab. She comes back basically with her daughter-in-law, a Moabite named Ruth. And they're saying, what happened, Naomi? What happened? Is this all you have? And so the town was in a stir about it. And it goes on to say in verse 20, she said, uh, Naomi says, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant, by the way. Her name means pleasant. It says, call me Mara, which means um, bitterness, <laughs> okay? Because the, the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The, Lord, the, the Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. But Ruth was not swayed by public opinion. I mean, her mother-in-law was having kind of a <laughs> bad attitude about all this, right? And, and some of us would say, well, she had all the right to. But at the same time, the, the, the town was in an uproar. They were looking at this Moabite woman named Ruth and, and Naomi, uh, who was an Israelite, and they're saying, what in the world is going on? And that kind of really impacted Ruth quite a bit, if you think about it. I mean, have you ever been in a position where you're working with unbelievers at all times? Or have you ever worked around people that are negative all the time? It can have a big influence on you if you're not careful. But if you're full of the Holy Spirit, if you're full of Christ, you know, you can, you can move past that. She was not swayed by public opinion. The third thing we see in a submitted and committed life to Christ is that grace is not taken for granted. We see in Ruth chapter 2, verse 10, 
It says, at this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? And she was talking to Boaz, who was going to be her future husband. And she was gleaning in the fields and um, that, that he was basically pouring out his favor upon her. And she's like, why have I found so much favor in your eyes that you notice me? Why me, God? That question, right? And then, in, and then um, going on in, in verse 13, she also says, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord? She said, you have given me comfort and spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have, one of, do, do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. And then Ruth chapter 3, verse 9, um, when we go through, which we're going to talk about a little bit of this story here, but when uh, um, uh, basically Boaz asked her, who are you? Uh, Ruth re- responds, I am your servant. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman redeemer. And so we see that, that uh, Ruth does not take grace for granted. In the same way with our lives, if, if we have truly accepted Christ in our life, if, if we have made him more of our life, we know what he has done for us. And so we don't want to ever take God's grace for granted. Know that what you were saved from. Know the, what your life was before you came to know Christ and that hopefully you've seen a transformation happen because I believe that those who come to Christ have a transformation. They're continually transforming to the likeness of Christ. Don't ever take God's grace for granted. What an awesome thing that God would love us even though we are sinners and even though we continue to sin and ask for his forgiveness, that God would pour out his grace on us. And I think uh, the fourth thing that we see in that's evidence of, of someone that's submitted and committed to Christ is that they're active in complete obedience, not just partial obedience, not like, oh, I'll kind of obey you today, God, and then maybe tomorrow I'll think about it, you know, or, or I'll do it today, I'll do the church thing, or I'll come, I'll show up for an hour, and then, you know, tomorrow I'll get back to my, my way of life. Now, it, it's, it's, a, it's a total commitment to Christ. It's a total, complete obedience to Christ. I love what Ruth um, says to her mother-in-law after her mother-in-law has this wild idea in Ruth chapter 3, if you want to go there with me here. Um, it says, and starting in verse 1, One day Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz, with whose servant girls you have been with, a kinsman of ours? Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best, best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. And we're like, whoa, wait, <laughs> what is this, right? Uh, if you've ever read this for the first time, you're like, okay, I have no clue what is going on right now. This seems weird. It seems maybe sexual or maybe this or that. It's not those at all, believe me. Uh, what is happening is uh, uh, Ruth is, is, Naomi is, is showing Ruth what it is to, to to have an act of humility um, uh, upon, uh, uh, upon Boaz here. And, and Boaz was one of the kinsmen redeemers, as we talked about a little bit last week. A kinsman redeemer was one that would take the responsibility of someone that has, had lost a loved one, that he would step in and, and provide, whether take the land and, and help um, support them and, and, and also keep the, line, the family line going by, by marrying the widow of that, uh, of that deceased person. And so he was um, not next in line, but he was the next after that, uh, which we're going to talk about next week. But, but the thing is that uh, here Ruth was basically asking him to take responsibility of this, 
basically almost asking his hand in marriage. How about that? Isn't that pretty cool? The woman getting down on one knee and asking. No, but she was basically um, um, asking her to, to and, and it seems really weird in this story here. It's like, okay, uncover his feet, lie down. What, what does this mean here? And so um, basically uh, what we're seeing here is that it's an act of humility that uh, once um, the sign is that if he, uh, he would lay uh, his, 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 his um, uh, he would lay, he would cover her up basically saying, yes, I'm, I'm willing to take on this responsibility. And we see later on that he does. Um, but uh, I love how, how she responds to, to Naomi and what she had just asked her to do. She says, I'll do whatever you say in verse 5. And so she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. She was active in complete obedience. She was just, um, she believed that uh, this is what, uh, this was maybe part of God's will for, for their lives here. And so she went in complete obedience. Uh, it's, it's submitting and committing. Time and time again we see in the, in the story of Ruth here. And it's something that we need to continue to do every single day. Submit and commit, submit and commit, submit and commit. Because the Christian life, um, trusting in God, um, can sometimes honestly feel like you're bungee jumping. If, has anyone been, been bungee jumping here before? No one has. One person, yes, David Cruchang, awesome. Um, but if you've ever seen those people that have bungee jumped, which I haven't done it, but I think that would be a great thing to do someday, and you're jumping off a bridge, right, and you're strapped on, and you know that, that you could plunge to your death, or you're just not sure, right, even though you know you're strapped on, and, and the thing is, you can never experience bungee jumping. Even if you're strapped on and you're on the top of the bridge, if you never jump, if you never jump, you will never experience what it means to bungee jump for real. And I think a lot of times in, in, in our walk with Christ, that if we never take that jump, if we never say we're going to fully submit and fully commit to God, we will never experience what this Christian life was supposed to all be about. You may think, man, once you jump, this is a radical ride. And it is, believe me. When you totally are sold out for Christ, it is a wild jump, let me tell you. But there's nothing like it. And the experience you get is not only an adrenaline rush, but it's also that, that um, comfort in knowing that God has never let go of you, no matter how far you've fallen. God is always there for you. And, and that is the, the type of life we want. It only comes through submitting and committing to Christ. There's one name, man named PK that just recently took the jump. Um, my uh, father-in-law has sent out an email to our, to our family uh, about a recent story that just happened in his life that uh, I thought I would share with you because it was just an awesome story. He met this Indian man named PK. All right, I don't know what his name stands for, but anyway, he calls him PK. He met him at like a, a, a dealership, uh, a, a car dealership, um, about a year ago and after about three times of meeting this guy three different times he thought he knew that, he, that this man needed Christ and um, the next time that he went to, to see um, uh, to go to this dealership uh, he noticed that the man was gone PK was gone uh, he always wondered about what happened to this guy and, and, what, and uh, whatever resulted of this man because he really wanted to be an active part in his life and leading him to Christ but never got the chance to. Well, about a year later, um, uh, my, my father-in-law is working for this company, and one of his coworkers comes in and, and starts talking about how they have some, um, 
some new neighbors that are in the area that um, are constantly back and forth at each other in their marriage. I mean, it's, it's loud and it's out outside their house and that she doesn't know what to do. And she described this man and, um, and my, my father-in-law goes, wouldn't be, happen to be by any chance his name is PK, is it? And she about fell out of her seat. She's like, yeah, that is him. And, and he's tell, he told her to, to ask him to, to call him sometime if he ever wanted to learn more about or wanted to have anyone to listen to or something like that. So my father-in-law receives a phone call the next week. PK is on the phone. And, and he says these words. He says, Mr. Nelson, as a human being, I am at the very bottom of my life. I am lost and miserable and have no one to talk to. His marriage was a wreck. He lost his job. He was making six figures. Lost his job. Uh, completely had, had uh, nothing to show for, basically. And he was at, the, he was at rock bottom. Well, uh, my father-in-law started to share Scripture with him. He never heard, he never read anything in the Bible before. And so he started sharing Scripture with him and eventually led him to the Lord. And just an amazing story that after a year that God still brought this man back in his life that he could lead to the Lord. And here's the cool thing about all this too is that um, now he's basically discipling him, meeting with him weekly. Uh, uh, that's not my phone, is it? Uh, okay. Meeting with, um, with him weekly now and he, and he wanted to give him a Bible. So he was looking through his old Bibles that he has laying around. He's got like a lot of Bibles. He's looking through some of them and he found a Promise Keeper's Bible with the letter, the initials PK on the front of the Bible. And so he took that to PK and he is now, this guy is on fire for Christ. That day that um, my father-in-law led him to Christ uh, was a day that it was pouring down these beautiful gigantic snowflakes um, back in Indiana and he walked outside he said PK's reaction to this was that he just raised his hands in the air and was shouting, just shouting, thanks to God. You see, he, he was transferred from the why me God in the negative, what's happening to me in my life, my life is a mess, details, 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 to why me God, that you would save somebody like me, a sinner. What an awesome story, and what an awesome um, way to go about submitting and committing to God. John Piper once said this in a quote, God is not an employer looking for employees. He is an, he is an eagle looking for people who will take refuge under his wings. You know what I think is so great about this story of Ruth is that in Matthew chapter 1, we see that she made it into the genealogy of Jesus Christ. It wasn't even an Israelite. Matter of fact, in the book of Ruth alone, there's six times where Ruth attached to her name is the Moabite. Like that's always sticking with her, right? But in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5 through 6, listen to what it says. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David, all the way down to Jesus Christ, right? It doesn't say Ruth the Moabite anymore, does it? It's just Ruth. It's just Ruth. Somebody that has submitted and committed to God. 
And Ruth is someone like you and me, that even in the worst of times, always remember that God is planning for the best of times. All right? If you would, uh, close your eyes with me. and Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we, um, we know that we have many questions on this earth about why things happen the way they do or why certain circumstances are, are appearing in our life right now. The why questions, the what questions, the how questions, all those types of questions, Lord. But may we always know that if we are just giving you our everything, if we are in total submission to you and totally committed to you, Lord, that we can be safe and assured to just leave the results to you. That we don't have to worry about tomorrow. That we don't have to get stressed out, bent out of shape. But rather, we know that by trusting in you, Father, that you will work together all the, good, all the things good for those who love you, Lord. And we, we just we praise you for that. We praise you for your promises. We praise you for you, Lord, because... Without you, we are a total wreck. And even when things seem like a total wreck in our lives, we can know that we have the peace that comes from you, peace that passes all understanding, Lord. And I just pray, Father, that today it would be an encouragement to someone out here today, Lord, that we would um, be able to move forward in such a way that, um, that we know that you're in control. May we give you 100%. Not 75%, not even 80%, not even 99%, but 100% of our lives to you. And I ask, Lord, that if there's anyone in here today that has not fully committed their life to you, that they would do so today. And that they would stop trying to do all this on their own, in their own strength, in their own power. But rather that they would give it over to you. We love you, Jesus. We pray that you would use us today and this week, wherever we are. In your name we pray. Amen.